0: Have you ever taken a picture, maybe with an old camera, seen a gleam or glimpse of light where there shouldn't be one? Maybe you've even seen an orb of light with your naked eye. Today's guest has, and he's also invited me to his property where he promises I'll see an orb too. Ryan Bledsoe, who's joining me for a second time, is a lifelong experiencer and son of Chris Bledsoe, a man whose ET encounters are possibly the most well-documented in human history. And the message the ETs have shared with him is mind-bending. I'm Mystic Mark. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast with Ryan
1: Bledsoe. I like to prep the listener. The layers of subterfuge meaning these secret societies will have one group that the masses get to see and observe and believe is the main group but then there's a group behind the group just like the freemasons they they have like the inner circle the 33 degree but your 99% freemasons around the world only ever climb to the 32nd degree and they never go higher and they run charities in their town and they all drink beer together and talk about their wives and put on the shriner hats and go donate to charity and that's freemasons but then the inner circle you know who knows what they're really up to right anyway so the temple of set in my opinion is the real temple of satan behind the political movement that you see in the public where they claim very openly like anton Levey and started in the 60s, it's it's literally called the Temple of Satan, and they say, we don't actually believe in Satan or God or Jesus or anything, it's just a political movement, and we're trying to, like, use shocking imagery to, like, bring about, like, atheism and blah, blah, blah. They claim they don't really believe in Satan. That's fine. I take that claim, whatever. I still think it's fucking weird, but whatever. The Temple of Set, however, they truly believe in a malevolent dark force. The name Set comes from the Egyptian entity of darkness who is in eternal war with horus the son of osiris you know like the the metaphor for light versus dark in eternity and uh the persians in the ancient past read about and heard about the egyptian set and in their language they called him shaitan which was adopted by the jews and put in the bible so in reality if you want to know the, the history of satan and where it came from it likely came from set from egypt And there are people like John Podesta, Michael, other like political figures who very openly flash symbolism of being involved with the Temple of Set and like the marina, the spirit cooking shit.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. I'm your host, Mystic Mark, here with a special friend who has gotten to know me, and I've got to know him for about a year now. I think about a year ago was when we first became acquainted through multiple different formats. We had a conversation on the Free Thinker Society podcast when I was a co-host in studio, and since this guy has remained present, a good friend. I'm happy and proud to call him a friend, as a matter of fact. My friend Ryan Bledsoe is here telling us about his new podcast, Bledsoe Said So, and every everything that's going on. We're going to get into a little bit of everything, but there's a lot of weirdness that we could touch
1: on. First and foremost, um, Ryan, how are you, brother? I'm doing good. Thank you for all the kind things that you said. And likewise, I'm I'm really proud to call you a friend as well. I I never would have thought that I would like get into podcasting circles. So that's super cool. It's kind of like some of those days you realize your dreams are coming true when you're, you know, just recording yourself talking, and people listen and you make friends. So. Absolutely. Cool. I was
0: just, I was just having a conversation with Tony Merkel and he was talking about how, you know, he Weird. went from truck driver to podcaster and I kind of did the same thing, went from delivery driver to podcaster. And now he's going from uh, podcaster to monster hunter treasure hunter and you know that's sort of one way to get into it but i feel like your story is very unique in the sense that you're kind of born into this like whether you chose to or not this type of strangeness which we definitely discussed the first time you were here this was part of your life from very very early on so before we before we get in any of that tell us about the show man because i know The first time you were on the podcast, it was just getting off the ground. I don't know if you had released maybe more than like a trailer yet the first time you're on the show. Uh, But now Bledsoe Said So is is in full swing. You have dozens of episodes out. Tell us about how this got started and and what the inspiration was for the podcast.
1: Well, I just realized today was our 33rd episode. Oh, shoot. Yeah. So we did an episode on like the number 33 and a lot of like the Masonic symbolism and esoteric symbolism. But really what we're just trying to do, man, is raise awareness because of a lot of the things that happened to me since I was young. I just kind of had the feeling like at some point I got to start talking about them to somebody. And whether anybody listens or not, it's very therapeutic for me to candidly discuss things, at least, you know, on air that people in my waking normal day to day life don't want to listen to because the stuff that I've been through in my life is very extreme, as, as you know, as far as like entity experiences and just weird, weird phenomenon um, occurring since I was a child. So basically, you know, what we're trying to do is we're just trying to add a perspective out there that might not have been there. And um, I kind of see myself as somewhat like a UFO activist in a way, you know,
0: let's get into that a little bit more because I feel like Someone might hear that who's new to your story and be like, what the heck is a UFO activist? How could somebody be advocating for UFOs? But I think what the average person who just walks into this might underestimate is how, how much has gone into discrediting you and your family, right? So this podcast is almost a way of validating your experience and at the same time mm-hmm. showing others who may have experienced strange things that like, hey, you're normal. This is okay. This isn't This isn't all that out of the ordinary. And yeah. I'm actually a pretty normal guy too. Here, I have friends. We talk about stuff and it's not always about aliens. Like that's another thing I'd hope we'd point out on the show today at some point is like don't expect to sit down and hear like a two hour podcast about aliens. Each episode of Bledsoe So said, so is (laughs) like very, you know, it's very personal. You guys talk to your, you know, you, you guys talk amongst each other and, and you're candid and you go into some subjects that relate to all of these things, of course, but a lot of times you're finding sort of like these references in just everyday things that you've, experience in your life you know like pointing out the fact that you know certain cartoons are very esoteric and
1: as a kid you just didn't realize how
0: they were kind of planting those seeds you know
1: yeah i I really wanted to go for like a nostalgic vibe like in my opinion and you know like studying psychology in college and really being into like somewhat like subliminal messaging and and things like that i just kind of had the hunch that relating profound esoteric topics and things about like higher consciousness and, you know, beings of light and things like that to pop culture and references and things that we all grew up with and things that people understand would resonate with people in a way that kind of penetrates deeper into the subconscious mind, you know? So in a, in a way, it's kind of like word magic is what I'm attempting. And, and it seems to be working. My target audience is, is typically people who are not like as Sam would call black belts in conspiracy, you know? I, I I tend to, I, t- I, we were talking on the phone about this two weeks ago and you were like, I get it now. I get what you meant, you know, but like we'll, we've done a wizard of Oz episode, talked about the occult that and Disney and just, just really dive in and try to pick apart. Like, look, dude, this movie has been out for a hundred years. Everyone's seen it. Bet you didn't know it was talking about. Helena Blavatsky and Theosophy and just things like that. And it just blows people's minds to see when you take those layers apart of of pop culture, like what was hidden in plain sight. Right. Right. And and I, I want to get into
0: that a little bit further because it's interesting how you, you pointed out that you're kind of doing word magic because what we do here on the podcast, I've kind of ex- described or explained as, the oral tradition being revived, you know, human beings for the longest time were were connecting with something deep inside of them and then voicing it, whether it was the story of their people, the lessons from their ancestors, or maybe even just the consciousness of their ancestors, you know, it seems Mm -hmm. like there's a sort of channeling going on and it's no different with podcasting just because we're using microphones and wires and websites and all that. We're sort of tapping into something that's very, deeply, inextricably human. So I understand what you mean by that word magic. I think people might misconstrue that and be like, oh, no, if he's doing word magic, that must mean he has an intention that's against, you know, my greater good or or my will, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a big thing that we need to dispel. It's like word magic can, just like any other tool, be used. Positively, I've used word magic to yeah. change the relationships in my life. Just by using different words, you trigger different responses in people. It's not really anything all that magical when you actually do it. It's, it's not like hope exactly pocus. right. But go ahead, tell well, us yeah. a little bit about how you feel about it.
1: Well, that, that, I 100% agree with that. Like people do have a stigma around certain mystical words, but in reality, the ancients, particularly the Egyptians and the Buddhists. The Greeks and even the Hindus understood that the spirit and the mind were very intimately connected and they had these complex magical systems about using certain words that could subliminally reprogram your own conscious or conscience, consciousness or whatever, and to make you have certain beliefs that affect reality itself. You know, like it's not like you do a little ritual and you wave your fingers around with a wand and you you trick somebody. All I really mean by that is I'm, I'm trying to relate certain things to subjects that on a profoundly deep level people understand so that it will affect them in an emotional um, place and that they'll relate to it. You know, it's not like I'm trying to brainwash or anything like that. But, yeah, I just figured, like, relating things to pop culture and and, and just things like music and movies and video games and whatever. I mean, the majority of people that listen are our age, you know, 25, 30, looking at the, the demographics there and who, who our age didn't grow up with stuff like that, you know? So. Right.
0: Yeah. For me, some big ones were like the twilight zone. I found that at a young age for whatever reason, probably because my grandfather mm-hmm. was always watching like old television stations and stuff that, that kind of opened my eyes, but it was like, A combination of the Planet of the Apes film, which Mm -hmm. probably sounds like out of left field, but whatever it was about the Planet of the Apes, it really got me thinking about what it meant to be a human being. Because in this Planet of the Apes, they really kind of play with that identity that we have as human beings and our role in the environment with animals, you know, is kind of twisted and reversed. You see all these crazy humanoid orangutans and gorillas and chimpanzees going wild and, and yeah i yeah. i'm not exactly like the expert on pop culture but i feel like i feel like there are particular tastes that we all have as human beings that guide us in a direction and like you know certain thing like the twilight zone might be big for me but for you it was something entirely different are there any yeah. early inspirations that kind of showed you this weird world that we wade
1: in now with our podcasts inspirations as far as like pop culture Mm -hmm. yeah well i i particularly was really into anime growing up like i'm not sure if you're familiar with this one but like dragon ball z and things like that and i did a whole episode on like esoteric anime and when you really watch them and pay attention it turns out there's a lot of profoundly mystical layers behind them about like forms of meditation and chakra energy and and like raising your consciousness to a certain level where you have like a brighter aura and obviously it's a cartoon. So they're like physically stronger because of that. And there's a lot of, I have this theory that, you know, I'm not exactly sure how I should say this. I mean, this is a conspiracy show, so I guess I can say it, but um, you know, like if there was like an Illuminati or somebody like that, if there was truly a 1% controlling the media, controlling Hollywood and and like giving the green light to certain themes being put out to the masses, which I think that kind of thing could be going on. I really believe that anime would be like the esoteric revelation of the East, you know, like Eastern culture, getting certain themes leaked into their content. And then in the West, it would be like the Disney movies, the Marvel movies, your really big blockbuster hits. I mean, now it's all about the multiverse and magic and ritual. And, you know, it's just, it's it's pretty crazy but yeah for me i would definitely say it was anime growing up i was i was super into it
0: yeah i remember i i can't say i was all that big into into dragon ball z in particular but there were a few anime shows that i liked at a young age i don't think the last airbender quite qualifies as anime but it definitely has an eastern influence and uh, yeah and that show yeah. I, I i'm almost certain you guys discussed this on your show but the last airbender was a big like mm-hmm. big yeah. kind of and at the time at this age I just thought superheroes and all that were cool. I didn't realize that as I got older I would still think superheroes were cool and I would still like like I remember when I got into martial arts I was thinking like oh wow all that stuff that they're showing me in airbender is basically like this Qigong stuff that these guys yeah. you know yeah. it's just it's it's really yeah you know art imitates life I guess is the is the quote that could sum my meandering up real quickly, but I wonder how much of that, like you pointed out is intentional to maybe cause like what we call predictive programming in this uh, community Mm -hmm. by a cabal of people. (laughs) Some say they go by the name, the Illuminati others will give you other names, but do you think that predictive programming is, is in existence? Like, would you say that that's something you actively, Uh, notice when you're when you're just viewing the normal entertainment stuff you you actively see like oh this is definitely predictive programming
1: i do i I definitely believe that's a thing and by the way i just want to get this out of the way you know everybody knows about the illuminati now i just want to clarify that like they might be called that they might not be called that when i use that term i don't necessarily literally believe there's like a black magic group who's you know pulling the strings what i really mean when i say that is there is a group of people probably the richest one percent, like everybody knows about, at the top. They have shady practices, they're 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 in on the occult. Who cares about like the technicality of the Illuminati? You know, like there's this discrepancy over that term. So getting that out of the way, somebody's in power, somebody's, you know, making shit go on. And I do think that there is a predictive programming element to media for sure. You notice that the majority of blockbusters in some way or another, or I shouldn't say the majority, but like particularly the Marvel films and a lot of the Disney films and a lot of just sci-fi epics in general tend to be about aliens. Right. You notice that. I'm sure everybody notices that. It's always aliens, aliens, aliens. And... I, I tend to think that that's part of that like indoctrination to get people into like a materialistic worldview and believing in this lie that there's these like alien invading forces on the horizon, which I don't believe is true at all. I don't think there will ever be any form of alien threat ever. I don't think it's possible.
0: Right. And, you know, for folks who haven't heard our first conversation, maybe we can get into it a little bit. Because when you say that about the dark group, I mean, I don't take it lightly. You're not just somebody who's, like, you know, seen a couple movies and looked up a couple weird things on the internet. Like, you've actually interacted with these people. They've come into your life. You didn't exactly invite them. And, yeah, when you say that, knowing the people that you know, Ryan, I definitely take it, uh, you know, a little more seriously than, let's say, the average guest. But... When you say that you don't think there's ever going to be an alien invasion, is that that confidence comes from the fact that you believe this is a spiritual, this is spiritual yeah. in nature, not physical. Can we That's get right. into that a little bit more and like why sure. you, why you fully believe that? Cause I, I'm not against that at all. I completely lean towards that myself just since I've never experienced anything as deeply as you have, like. With actually encountering these beings, I still have to try to remain a little agnostic, but I mean, you're, yeah. you're full blown in the deep end, brother. You, you've you seen the yeah. things, so let's get into yeah. it. What, what gives you that
1: confidence? What gives me that confidence is since I was a little kid, I've been kind of like shoved in the deep end and, um, you know, like with no going back into this life with the government and, and like UFO encounters hundreds of them, or maybe even thousands at this point. For anybody who's not familiar, my dad is a, a pretty well-known UFO experiencer by the name of Chris Bledsoe. And it all started with him back in 2007. And after he reported his experience, the Discovery Channel came out, botched a documentary about us, just tried to get it out for ratings, make us look bad. And the story became bigger than they ever thought it would. And and the the, the interactions kept growing from there. And just kind of skipping a little bit of context, in 2012, five years after my dad had his initial encounter on the Cape Fear River, which the documentary is about. So, like, if anybody watches the documentary about my dad called UFOs Over Earth, it's strictly about the first encounter that I'm not referencing right in this moment. So, in 2012, he had another encounter that has never been officially documented, and he met an entity. Actually, she's depicted right here. Right here. That's what that painting represents. And she showed up as like a beautiful uh, blonde haired, blue eyed woman with a white dress from neck to foot, just twinkling like the stars. She called herself Hathor. And she basically said like, you're, this is your burden. Like the experiences that you're having, you need to go out into the world and tell it. And that's actually why I'm doing the podcast. I'm just trying to tell as many people as possible about these experiences and and offer that perspective. But one of the things that she told my dad when she was face to face with him was she said that the hidden one is Amun Ra, that there is creation. That's that, that the lie that the great deception being uh, perpetrated upon humanity is the fact that there is no god or consciousness there is there is no higher power and that there's like bad aliens like that's that's the deception or at least part of it but the the ultimate truth the ultimate reality is that there is an eternal higher consciousness uh, according to these entities and that the purpose of this life here is to go on the journey of the soul learning through many lifetimes to find what it means to vibrate with love you know like the stuff the sages talk about, like the Buddha and the Jesus and the Zoroaster, the stuff that they say, like good thoughts, good word, good deeds, essentially that's it. That's the answer. Like they were right. You know, just be the best person you could be, be good to other people, be good to yourself, and know and understand that there is truly a higher power. And the whole point of us telling this story is people will, you know, have some hope knowing that there really are beings out there that are like helping humanity, guiding us towards um, a brighter future. And then the other thing she said was that we're on the cusp of entering into the age of Aquarius, which would be a new age of peace. We, we would enter a kind of like a consciousness revival at that point.
0: Wow. And thank oh, you I'm for, sorry. no, no, no. Thank you for retelling that. Is there something else you want to, because we did talk yeah. about this and I appreciate you rehashing it for those who are new. Uh, but I do have a couple questions. But before I get to that, what's, what, what was on was the tip of your tongue? I was going to say
1: the other thing she said was that the people perpetrating this great deception are a dark group in power at the top of humanity. So I have been researching for 10 years because that encounter in particular, the one in 2012, happened when I was 18. I'm 28 now. So for 10 years, I've been trying to figure out who this dark group is. So that's why I give the disclaimer, like whether they're called the Illuminati or not, it's just a popular term that people can identify with. Don't take it too literal. There's just bad people who are very wealthy, very powerful. doesn't really matter what they're called. That's where I was coming from.
0: Well said, and I respect it. And I'm on the same path myself. I hope this podcast can do Many things, one of them being help people understand that there is a brighter, more positive way to live their life, something that that yeah. message really speaks to me with. And, and also the more sort of investigatory path that we're both kind of going down in our own ways where yeah. we're like, yeah, we want to figure out some of these answers. And if if there is a dark group out there, we want to shine a light on them so that yeah. they can be yeah. seen and and judged for their crimes if it is true that there are criminals in the one percent and i don't think anyone could realistically take a good honest look at our earth and not suspect that there's some sort of parasitic influence from a top down but getting right. back to hathor i mean when you when you understand the experience your father had does it make you think twice about Prophetic experiences, the kind that are recorded throughout religions. I mean, it sounds very similar to what, you know, people talk about when they receive some sort of uh, prophecy or an angel encounter, you know. And we know yeah. names change yeah. depending on what culture it is. And you, she represented herself as Hathor, the angel. You know, for those who don't know, a major goddess in the ancient Egyptian religion, sky deity, the mother or consort to the sky god Horus and the sun god Ra, the mother of Horus and the consort to Ra. So, yeah, I mean, wow, that's that's not just like that's no like uh, average tier goddess. That's a pretty top reigning goddess. If we're going to put the gods of the old world on a hierarchy, Hathor is pretty high up there.
1: Yeah. That's, that's kind of like what she identified herself as is, is the kind of like the divine mother. Like that's one of the things that's been hidden from humanity for thousands of years is we always have this father, father, forgive me. We have the father, the son, but the truth of the Trinity, the truth of reality itself is that there's always a feminine aspect to creation as well. That's every layer of reality, plants, atoms, molecules, human beings reproduce with a feminine counterpart. It's, it's just, I mean even look at it esoterically like the yin yang or as above so below everything has a uh, a dualistic nature to it and and the divine whatever you want to call it the 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 godhood or whatever is no different you know if if we're going to be open and honest with ourselves as a species we have to understand if there is a divine masculine force there has to be a divine feminine force there is a mother there is a divine feminine and that's kind of like when we rebalance our collective consciousness with that energy as well. When we restore that divine feminine and things are back in balance, according to her, then, then we'll be in a new age. And back to the prophecy part, she told my dad that this dark group is making the book of revelations from the Bible play out on a, like a global scale to force apocalyptic things to happen. Because, you know, if we all believe it, if we all part partake in observing this ritualistic, global political theater go on and we believe it and we accept it while we're just making it happen you know so that's kind of how i feel about prophecy like it it only happens when people believe it and 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 facilitate it happening to a degree
0: right it requires the unwitting participation of the masses and I think Mm -hmm. that's the kind of conspiracy that we love naturally. I mean, the apocalyptic Christian uh, worldview was a big foundation for conspiratorial thinking here in America. I wouldn't say it's the only reason people believe in conspiracy, but it played a big role, this idea that the apocalypse was coming. I mean, time after time throughout the past 400 years or so since the printing Press was first created. There's been pamphlets that go out or books that go out that say the end of the world's coming. You know, it's not yes. always mm-hmm. it's not always uh, Christians either. It's sometimes it's other groups and other denominations. Sometimes even cults yeah. convince themselves that the world's ending and and going off themselves. Uh, Heaven's Gate is a big uh, example of that. But considering you know the amount of interest from the government would you say that their alignment your suspicion is that their alignment is with these dark forces based on how they've operated i mean if they had our best interests in mind it seems like they would want to hear your father out they would want to they would want to really understand the message rather than just try to like put a lid on everything or so it seems That's what they've done is try to get you guys to sign these deals where then your story will be forever locked away in some, you know, safe somewhere rather than with the intention of this podcast spreading the word, which I think is what Hathor would probably want to happen, right? She wants this message to be spread through your father. So what are your
1: thoughts on that? So it's, it's very complicated. I've met, shoot, probably close to a dozen intelligence individuals in one way or another coming to us on behalf of these fields or backgrounds, trying to like either report on us to the Pentagon or spend time with us and like see if they can have experiences or whatever. And I would say some of them, maybe half or less than half have been incredibly nice, incredibly, incredibly nice. And then the other ones have uh, made me very suspicious. Some of the things they've said and particularly some of the things that they've done, like we've definitely gotten some death threats from some of these people, some of them, not all of them. It's very important to distinguish that, you know, I can't lump all of these intelligence agents and, you know, as one group, they don't, they don't all cooperate together. You know, like some are rogue, some are coming on behalf of the Pentagon, some are retired. It's very complex, not black and white situation. But I would say I believe that the mainline intelligence, whatever apparatus of the the world political stage, all the intelligence agencies of all the countries are probably under the thumb of whoever this group is, this 1% group who's, you know, at the top of humanity. And and I I have a hard time believing that militaries can, you know, even do anything without approval of these these 1% of the 1% organizations. So yeah, I w- I would definitely say like I I do believe that particularly the predictive programming is there for the masses. The intelligence agencies are are not necessarily acting in the the altruistic motivations to help the people at large, but I don't think that like every little agent in these groups is evil, you know what I mean? Like it's right. very complicated. It's very gray.
0: Right. Now considering what Hathor said about aliens, that there aren't any boogeyman aliens coming to get us, and all of the conspiracy theories saying, you know, things like, oh, there's aliens in the government, they're working with the government, things like that. Do you think that that might be hathor trying to shed light on possibly the fact that they're not alien but something else like it's not entirely human i i would imagine you don't believe that there's a entirely human evil influence across the planet do you think there's something possibly from another dimension that's in cahoots Mm -hmm. with the government or this dark force or is it entirely just human depravity
1: I think it's a mix of both. If you could conceive in your mind, and I don't just mean you, I mean the listener too. Right. Like I know that the, I, I love your show, man. It's very high level. Thank I consider you. your show like very, very high level. But just just for the listener, if, you, if you've never covered this on the show before, there's a concept called Egregore. And it's the concept that, you know, like when a bunch of minds come together and focus on a certain concept, uh, that 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 mental projection takes life. You know, it it, it takes a form in a realm that we can't detect with our five senses. And I believe over time, just like greed and, and all the negative attributes of mankind and especially these groups in power, either they are communicating with some sort of cosmic horror, you know, in a shadowy realm that we can't detect, or maybe there's these egregores that's being created through like fear and belief that's generated on the population that we're all kind of like giving power to by believing in like everybody believes in satan i don't necessarily think that there is a satan you know what i mean like i have a different view on consciousness and how it manifests and I, i believe that um you know at the highest level there's there's only source. There's only unity. Everything is one. Yeah. Like I I honestly don't know. I can't claim to know. I I, I do think that it's extremely likely and extremely possible that they are communicating with something that is very malicious and very negative. Now, when you go on the internet and you read about it, they're going to say it's aliens, it's reptilians, it's the, the Pleiadians or the whatever, or the whatever. I don't believe a word of that. I personally think it's a crock of shit. I think this is a consciousness, spiritual thing. And, you know, there, there definitely are non-visible entities that manipulate people. I just don't have any proof, you know?
0: Right. And, and I don't think that, uh, that we necessarily needed are asking you for that. Cause you know, and I appreciate you saying the show is high level. I try to keep it in the it philo- philosophical realm. So thank you. And, and that's is. kind it's of very high
1: level. Thank you.
0: And I think, you know, when we talk about this subject, it's important to entertain all possibilities and unfortunately when Mm -hmm. you get into that mindset of like it has to be reptilians or it has to be a flat earth or it has to be anything whatever even illuminati because we're talking mostly about that my apologies to the flat earth people who i just offended but anytime we anytime we get in that boxed way of thinking we're going to miss things just naturally things are not going to fit into that perspective and we're not going to be able to equate i think when you you look at consciousness as the sort of primary factor you really there isn't a box because Mm -hmm. that's the box you're in that's kind of removing you know getting down to a baseline right what you experience take yourself out of what everyone else says or or thinks and just what have you experienced and i think Everyone can say they've experienced consciousness. I don't know if you're familiar with this concept, but Tony Merkel and I earlier were talking about astral projection and the concept that this dog man, that he knows someone who saw this dog man, the possibility that that dog man might have been somebody, a human being taking the form of a dog man, Through some sort of ritual, like taking on a different form in the astral realm, what are your thoughts on that? And how do you factor dreams into this whole consciousness spirituality realm?
1: I mean, look, I'm very open minded to that. I don't, I don't think that that's impossible. I do believe in astral projection in some form or another, and I say that because my dad got involved uh, pretty heavily. Back in the day with the remote viewing on behalf of the government, like some of the individuals like uh, John Alexander and Joe McMonigle, who pretty much developed Project Stargate with the uh, United States Army, Army Intelligence. The, The movie, The Men Who Stare at Goats, was about these guys. Like George Clooney was based on these characters. And my dad actually remote viewed certain things trained by these people. So, like, I know that that's real. And if that's real, then to me, astral projection is just another level or another step, you know. As far as turning into like a dog man in the astral realm, I I don't think that's crazy at all because anybody who's studied dreams or symbolism or psychoanalysis understands that the unconscious mind communicates in in natural symbols, particularly animals. It's a universal language that all of us on a subtle level understand. You see, like you see lion, you think powerful. You know, you see bird, you think flies high, proud, mighty, whatever, you know, smart, everybody majestic. knows. Yeah. Majestic. That's, that's why Horace and raw have the head of a Falcon. It's because it's, it flies the highest. It's, it's majestic. It's closest to heaven. You know, like that's, that's a universal language. So yeah. I, I say, why not? It's cool.
0: I love it. And I bring that up, not totally to take you into left field because i I know you're well i know you're very familiar with orbs and my thought with orbs was initially learning about them and also learning about various different shamans practices specifically in south america and central america where they talk about taking their consciousness outside of their body putting it in the form of a bird and flying around and maybe protecting somebody maybe battling an enemy in some sort of magical but i wonder you know with your experience with orbs we talked a lot about orbs last time you were here do you think that there's a conscious aspect of orbs and do you think that that necessarily is limited to the orb itself or maybe is like a sort of byproduct of a consciousness somewhere else
1: Yeah. So my personal understanding of the orbs, I don't, I don't think the orb is necessarily a being, you know, I think that the orb is just a little glimpse into that other world that we're picking up with our five senses when we're, when an entity is present or nearby. I don't, I don't think that like there's a race of beings and like the orb is a being and then the entities are a being. Like, I think it's all one thing. And they choose to appear to us in ways that we can understand. But if we just catch glimpses into that world or like, you know, you snap a picture and it picks up something, I, I think it can sometimes just look like a little ball of light. I mean, these are very high vibration, high frequency entities. I don't necessarily think they have physical forms like we do. And and when they, you know, stop by and make an appearance, every time I've ever seen them, they look like light, just pure light. Yeah. So I I definitely think that it's a it's a full consciousness phenomenon and that the orbs are a byproduct of us detecting a glimpse of them when they're nearby. I, my dad has seen them step out of orbs. These, these, these entities have just, it was an orb and then it just steps out and poof. It's like an eight or nine foot tall entity, you know, like they they can do whatever the hell they want. They're like genies basically.
0: Right. Yeah. Well said, man. And I wonder, you know, I think we, we've even talked about this before. So forgive me if we're repeating ourselves, but I wonder how much the specialness of the property where your father lives and that duck pond and the animals that are there, I wonder how that vibration plays into it. Because I doubt, you know, aside from maybe like UFOs or flying humanoids, that people in big urban places see that kind of stuff very often, you know? Yeah,
1: I, Yeah, I agree. I agree. Too many witnesses.
0: Right. So I wonder how like is it is it s- simply because of the rural nature or do you think there are aspects of the land itself like a river or a mountain or even like a magnetic force under the ground that makes certain areas like the one where you your family has property particularly s- more active in the realm of high strangeness than others
1: Yeah that's that's extremely interesting you know like on on the ground you know f- when, when us just the family members and we're having these experiences, we're, we're not thinking those kinds of things, you know, like in the moment. So I really appreciate those kinds of questions. It's very interesting. And it kind of makes me think back and be like, Hmm, does that have anything to do with it? And I just now thought while you were saying that, that my dad's first encounter was on a river, you know, he was on a riverbank fishing and then the, not the second major encounter, but the third major encounter that he had in 2019 it was over a pond. So kind of interesting Two two bodies of water. And, you know, it depends on who you talk to. Some people say there's a concentration of chi in the water. I don't know. I could be reaching there, but I will say no matter where my dad is, the phenomenon follows. So I, I tend to think it's, it's, it's him. They're following him, you know,
0: right. Right. So it's the person, not the place.
1: Mm-hmm. I think so personally.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's kind of a big thing I notice when I'm talking to folks who go out and explore certain areas where there is said to be certain cryptids and whatnot. Again, mm-hmm. I just talked to Tony, so I'm a little loaded with that stuff. Yeah. But I wonder, you know, I asked this to him many times. You know, what do you? What's the consciousness factor? I, I I've asked it. At, to him in many different ways and got a similar answer every time but i, I wonder when people go out and they want to experience a bigfoot or they want to see a ghost or they want to come across and hunt down a dog man if that gets in the way because it doesn't sound to me like your father is like obsessed with these beings and wants to like go and hang out with them like yeah you might have had like a a different life than your average person but uh, it doesn't sound like he asked for these beings to be in his
1: life. No, he didn't. I mean, like, that's that's a good point. A lot of the criticism that my family gets is that we don't have, like, super fancy cameras capturing, like, high definition. And it's like, dude, the reality of the situation is my dad was just down and out. He just sold his business. He's, like, broke, extremely depressed. He's he's very sick with Crohn's disease. I'm talking 2007. He's literally praying because he was a fundamental Christian at the time, just praying like, God, either end my life or heal me. I'm tired of this sickness and the stress. And then boom, he saw these these beings and they've been around ever since. It's not like we sought this out. It's not like we were ghost hunters or UFO hunters. We're not looking to like buy cameras and like, you know, take all these high definition photos. It's just a normal part of our life that we experience and we observe and we witness. And we like might whip out our phone, take a picture and share it. And like, it's, I don't know, it's just funny to me because- It's, it's not this kind of thing where we're like the ghost hunting vibe, you know, people have come to our property with that intention and they have actually got some pretty wild evidence, like EVP type stuff, videos on infrared cameras of little light beings walking in the yard and stuff like that. But it's just not really our interest. Like we're just a normal family in the South, just living a simple life out in the country and having wild experiences and talking about it on the internet, you know, like, right. Right,
0: and I apologize for seeming like I'm not focused. I just realized
1: for no, some reason.
0: Well, I feel like I got <laughs> I got distracted because people are telling me that our live stream is muted. So sorry Uh-oh. to the to the live streamers who were trying to catch up with this, but unfortunately, it's just the audio listeners who will get it. So. I'll well, fix welcome that.
1: everybody. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> no worries. So our live audience is just watching us. That's that's kind of weird. We're gonna turn this off. Oh, now. it's
1: the audio is still not working.
0: Okay. Yeah, I, you know I'm not gonna fiddle around with OBS right now because I'm just gonna distract me, and then we're not gonna have a good conversation. Not saying. I any, mean, you
1: heard my show. We distract ourselves all the time. So. Well. It's, all good cool well
0: i'm glad you're patient with me because i'm very impatient when it comes to obs and and yeah ever since i did this update it's been like hit or miss sometimes people can hear me other times they're like hey man you're muted and i'm getting like texts and whatever so back to the conversation here we are on the my family thinks i'm crazy podcast and yeah man i think that what's so compelling about your interactions with, in particular, the, you know, agents. I know not all of them are agents, but the interactions with NASA, because you'd think that NASA would be this type of group that would just be focused on one thing. They'd be focused on, like, getting to space, being in space, and that's it. Like, why why be concerned with anything else, you know? Yeah, they... Yeah. But no, no, no. They go have on. a
1: whole department for UFOs. <laughs>
0: right. And it's just, it's, it's so, yeah. it's so weird that they're playing this like, like men the study in, of well, and it's like men in black, almost the way that they approach people who, mm-hmm. who have experienced these things. Am I wrong?
1: No, you're not. You're not wrong. The thing about the men in black is they don't wear black suits. They don't carry deneralizers. They show up, they seem like kind people, and then they harass you. Try to get too scared, so you don't go talk publicly anymore. Been there, done that. Had some death threats on our family. Still get um, harassed on Twitter all the time through DMs and things like that. And yeah, like there, there are elements to the Men in Black being real. But look, they've they've never like the conspiracies that people read online about, like being thrown in a van and and like this person went missing from the Men in Black. I don't believe it. I, I, I just don't believe it. Like if I feel like you know if that kind of stuff did happen, I, I probably wouldn't be here with how bold I've been going out and telling my story. I think in reality, all the power they have to do is just try to scare you. They, they, they've never physically touched us or harmed us. It's all been, it's all been threats that have never been met. And that's why I do this. I'm just like, fuck it, man. They can't touch me. I don't think they can.
0: Right. Yeah. And I commend your bravery, man. Cause it's definitely not something the average person deals with. I've never dealt with anyone. Of that pedigree of any (laughs) lettered agency really i i can say when i was a kid like a very tangential family member someone who was probably like third related to us somehow you know three degrees of separation worked for nasa and came by and visited my grandparents and gave me this, like, little NASA toy and, you know, just kind of, like, gave me a little spiel, like, you could be an astronaut one day, too. And I I never really thought about it. I never really considered, you know, NASA being anything but an organization fixated on going to and fro from space. But, geez, if I had known that back then, I would have definitely asked them about aliens and whatnot. But, you know, a lot of people who are in this community, have a lot of suspicion around NASA, you know, given your experience, do you think that they're lying about other things? You think they're lying about the shape of the earth, things like that?
1: Yeah. That's a slippery slope. I'm going to give my opinion <laughs> on that one, but let's table that one. Cause I love that conversation. I was just going to say this really quick. There's this individual I met in the department of defense. He was in a joint operation between it's called the NRO. And he was in a joint operation between NASA, Air Force intelligence, and the CIA. He was, he was involved with all three of those because he was high up there in this shadowy group that, you know, on the cutting edge of intelligence and the scientific community that studies this kind of phenomenon. Very real departments in, 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 in uh, the, the United States Department of Defense allocated with resources and taxpayers money to study UFOs and things like that. And that's why they came to our house. They were studying us, you know, they were getting data about this phenomenon. And one of the things he told me face to face was he said, you know, not everything you see on the news is real. And uh, for an example, like the Challenger explosion that happened in the 80s, he was a young buck just getting into NASA at the time. And it was one of his first kind of operations he had to work, you know, do you remember, you know what I'm talking about? Like the the rocket, the NASA rocket, obviously that happened before we were born, but you know, anyway, one of the things he told me was that the story that was put out in the mainstream narrative was completely untrue, completely untrue. It wasn't, it wasn't even close. And I, he told me at the time, this was basically 10 years ago. This was 2013. So yeah, nine years ago. I can't remember the exact detail he told me. Cause to be honest with you, I had never heard of the Challenger explosion that happened years before I was born. But uh, yeah, th- like that's, that's just one example of, Me being told and confirmed by an intelligence official from the DOD that like, don't buy all the news, don't buy all the media, don't buy all the shit you read on the internet about UFOs, because a lot of it is garbage. Wow.
0: Yeah, Um, I remember that story. And I I looked into a conspiracy theory about that because allegedly the crew is still alive and some of them have changed their names and, and whatnot. But mm, one of the, one of the people that was allegedly deceased from that Apollo crash is on like 2008 faculty list for Yale university. So I was like looking around Yale cause I Ooh. live nearby thinking like, Oh wow, if this person died in the Apollo, but they're teaching at Yale, like this is something I could f- freaking figure out you know I find this person then COVID happened so everybody went remote but you know not that I was even allowed in the campus anyways but yeah it was definitely one of those stories that stood out and had a little bit of a local intrigue too so it stuck with me but wow I mean if that's not (laughs) enough to make you question the mainstream narrative I don't know what is a DOD agent basically tell and for worse or where i mean that guy could have been lying just to spin you for you know a sucker or whatever but i don't honestly i don't take you as a sucker so i think if if he was trying to float one by you, you probably would have been more suspicious of him and not even bothered to remember this so wow yeah i definitely can corroborate that i've heard similar theories about that and never quite from a source that verified so very cool man
1: yeah, there there definitely have been people trying to take us for, for suckers, and I'm always – and, like, we're just very nice, very polite, let them say their spiel, and then they leave, and we're like, they were fucking crazy. You know, like, happens all the time. And I'm talking, like, even government people come by and try to spin their shit, and, and they're not all like that. Like, I just want to impress that, that that they're really not all like that. Some of them are just – very nice people and they tell us up front, like even recently talking with some people, I, I, I can't say like who they're affiliated with at the moment. In the future I'll be able to, but just just because of things being discussed and 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 some of them are just incredibly nice. And they're like gonna be honest with you, we're just here because we want to learn from you and learn what's going on. You know, they're not all shady, and that's the hard part. It's like, how do I go out there and say they're lying, but like, damn, they're not all lying. It's it's crazy. But check this out. This was given to me by a NASA scientist. This is an 850,000-year-old Tektite meteorite. You can't really tell because, obviously, we're on a webcam with a ring light, but it's it's a very rare glass meteorite. And it was given to me by the world's expert on Tektites named Hal Povemire. Wow. He's a recently deceased NASA scientist. And then he gave me this 9,000-year-old arrowhead. Check that out.
0: I love it. Yeah, I saw that on your Instagram yesterday. And I'm really glad that I put my crystals under my desk because I want to show you my <laughs> my type. I got this. Oh, that's a, a
1: big one. Yeah, this
0: is this is one that I got at a, one of my favorite crystal stores. But this thing is powerful. Like this is one of those. Yeah, like, I was yeah. just having a, co- a conversation with a really cool guy uh, named Jeff who goes by the Mad Hatter, and and he knows. A lot about crystals and he was telling me about moldavite which is extremely powerful and it's said to be the result of a meteor impact thousands and thousands of years ago that created this very rare crystal and and tektite if we could get into that a little bit tektite I believe is a byproduct of like electrical activity in the desert in some cases but it also could be something that falls from space too
1: right yeah, it's it's the, so they they don't one hundred percent know the origins of tectites. That's the funny thing is that they're, they're at least when I was talking to the NASA scientist who's like written books about them and everything, the conclusion was that they honestly have they have theories, right? They're extremely complicated. All I all that they know is that they are somehow or another formed by superheated, basically like sand, like they're they're glass. They're glass meteorites. Yeah, but you know, that's crazy you say Moldavite because today on my show, Blood So Said So, I got a comment from somebody telling me to go down the Moldavite rabbit hole and I like brought it up to Google it and then I didn't get any deeper into it and then here you are bringing it up.
0: So, <laughs> oh, let's go down the, the Moldavite signs. rabbit hole, man. I love it. Let's follow the signs. I, I, follow the signs. There's still plenty to learn. I don't know everything, but it is considered the stone of transformation that was created from a meteorite that crash-landed 14.8 million years ago in the present-day oh. Czech Republic. And,
1: and You'll get one tomorrow.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, and it's it's a rare crystal. I don't think it's the most readily available. It's usually pretty expensive, so oh. I would... Sorry to disappoint you. I don't think it's that rare. You, you might be able to get some. But the way Jeff described it was that as soon as he put his hands on it it made him sick and and i think what maybe someone who isn't familiar with like the crystal world like might see that as a bad thing but what i interpreted Mm -hmm. from that is like the crystal wants to purge whatever's inside of you that's like negative and certain like transformation stones like moldavite like create this intense feeling of discomfort because they're like pulling the worst emotions that you've been harboring and like all the negative self talk and anything else that a person might accumulate in their life, even if it's just stress and you're actually like a saint and and the only bad thing you do is get stressed out. Like it'll pull it out of you, you know? And I think that's something that, I'd hope everybody integrates into their life, but do you have Absolutely. any other crystals besides those two you're gifted?
1: I have way too many, man. <laughs> I, Cause I've, I've bought a lot, like after going down this rabbit hole and, and kind of like studying chakras and crystals and, and, and really from like a neutral perspective, like not like with a bias, but with an open mind is what I should say, not neutral, but with an open mind. And man, I've really gone down the rabbit hole. I probably have, 20 or 30 crystals, like tiny little ones, placed throughout the house. i trying to create a grid. And one thing I've done on my show, it's kind of like a little side story I've got going on in the background of the main show. But one thing I'm doing is I'm really trying to make a lot of memes and jokes about crystals. Because again, it's that word magic thing. If you can get people to laugh about something, then it's kind of like takes the weight off of it or takes the takes the air out of it, you know? Mm. There's a big stigma behind things like crystals and meditation and reality it's awesome i mean they they have incredible benefits wow that's that's awesome You got a quartz
0: yeah oh man i could i could just keep going i could like show you a hundred I, I i yeah i'm with you I brother a lot. i gotta send I you i gotta lot. send you uh Can you bring
1: me my big one Jenny? yep my wife's gonna get it I knew that's <laughs> i'm
0: gonna send what you i'm gonna send you a gift i make these wraps so i'm gonna send oh, you I, one i
1: love that i love the one you sent me when i became a patron I loved it. It's on my, it's in my bedroom. Oh,
0: okay. I think I already sent you stuff then. Then th- I don't even yeah, have that. You,
1: you sent me a, you sent me a little guy. But hey, hey I would definitely <laughs> like one of those wraps. Look, yeah, I have no, a night orb. Yeah. Show the stand. Oh, I'm supposed to show the stand. Oh. Hello. It was cheap. It was Oh, this is was my wife. Yep. Comes at a little stand. Selenite. I got a little smoky quartz orb. Beautiful. I've got all kinds of stuff. I like spheres because of the the shape of them. Supposedly the energy is supposed to radiate out, uh, radiate out in a very even way. And then I have this big ass quartz that my mom got me for Christmas. Beautiful. Like, was like 30 bucks. It wasn't expensive. Quartz is the most abundant mineral in the world. It's cheap.
0: I love it. Yeah. And, and something that I've really grown to love about having crystals is the subtle impact it makes on your life. And you know yes. whether whether yes. you're new to them or you've had them for years, you'll notice that they start to make mm-hmm. a subtle effect on your life. How how is that manifested for you? Have you noticed any like positive results lately? I mean, obviously a lot of good things have happened since we last talked. You're, yeah. Now you're married. Congrats. We just heard your wife. But you know how how do crystals? How do you integrate them into your life? It's more than just like a paperweight. I'm sure.
1: Oh yeah. Like at first it was a, at first it was a new and exciting thing. Like I got to get as many as possible, you know, but over time, actually, let me back up. It was the other way around. At first it was like, let me get one or two. Cause I'm new at this. And I got like a clear quartz and an amethyst and I was really ignorant about crystals. So I bought like a $50 amethyst that was like this big and like a $50 or $60 quartz that was like this big and a Ruby that was like this big. For 50 bucks. I just didn't know what I was doing, you know? So I thought, like, it's, I got to pay more for it to be legit. Did more research, found out you can just go to your local metaphysical shop. They're super cheap. You can buy tons of uh, quartz, you can buy little clusters for like $3. And now I'm in the phase where it's like, I need as many as possible because I just had this intuitive thought in my mind like, the more that I have in my environment, the more they're going to rub off on like me in my apartment and I'll be able to manifest greater things. So I have a quartz pretty much in every um, area of the house. Like on my coffee table, I have two or three crystals. I have like five or six in the podcast room. I just got them everywhere trying to create a grid. Mm. And um, I have some by the bed, like, you know, nothing fancy, nothing expensive. Just a little like $12 stick of selenite if I'm ever super stressed. Or feel like meditating or whatever. I'll just grab that son of a gun and hold it and just kind of chill out. You know, like if it works, it works. If not, I'm alone anyway. Who's watching me, right? So it's not like you should feel awkward about holding a crystal and meditating. I mean, try it. I, th- I think there's something to it.
0: No, oh, I hope that everybody listening to this podcast either already has crystals and is like, we get it, or or is going to get some now because yeah, I'll tell you what, I I could probably write a book one day if I got my stories straight, but on
1: crystals?
0: Well, yeah, because I feel like, you know, synchronicity has become, you know, the the talking point, but in all honesty, the synchronicity really only got kickstarted in my life when crystals came into play. And, you know, I've had some wild experiences from getting pulled over and cops being like, what are these? And I'm like, they're crystals. And then they're like, crystals. They're wrong, yeah. I'm like, they're they're freaking out. And I'm like, no, no, no. They're just pebbles. Like, yeah, and-
1: it's not crystal. It's not crystal meth, man.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then I've had, you know, I've had the the run where I was making jewelry and selling it. And eventually I got to the point where I was like, you know what? I don't, I don't feel like this is what I'm called to do. And since then I've just accumulated more and more with less frequency. I used to be sort of what I'm getting in the phase that you're in right now where you're like, yes, more more more. Eventually that slowed down and I yeah. found that yeah. I, I matched like my environment to where I wanted to be. And I that's think, I am right now. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful thing to do, man, is to grid out your house, especially the position you're at right now. A young man, you know, living with your lady, you got to grit it up, yeah. dude. You got to anchor the good energy in that house.
1: Yeah. And honestly, man, they just look really pretty, you know, like I really like looking at them and it, it's just like my wife is really into flowers and I let her get all the flowers she wants and like in our, not, not flowers, flowers, but like, you know, like plants, right. like house plants. I don't, I don't mean flowers. You don't have like roses and shit around. We have like snake plants. And That'd things be expensive. Like that. and, and, oh, it would be super expensive. It would be super expensive, but we have plants everywhere. And then I've like got crystals beside the plants. And honestly, it's a really cool aesthetic. It's like a, it's like a new age, mid-century modern and I'm for it, you know, kind of cool.
0: Right. I on. imagine
1: it's like the real 1960s, <laughs> you right know, on. like they, they probably had crystals and shit.
0: Yeah. So What's next for Bledsoe Said So? It seems like you're going through a lot of topics. You're bringing the listeners along through a lot of the things you know. Are there any big topics you haven't covered yet that you really want to touch on, like for me i would suggest maybe diving through some of the hp blavatsky stuff or like the manly p hall stuff if you haven't already yeah. but but what what are you planning on talking about next is there anything coming up in the future with blood so said so that you're excited about mm-hmm.
1: so we did just last week do the wizard of oz episode which was heavily or heavily uh inspired by hp dang, H.P. Blavatsky. It turns out the guy who wrote the book was a disciple of H.P. Blavatsky. So a lot of her, yeah, so a lot of the theosophy is is in The Wizard of Oz symbolically. So we, we just touched on that a little bit, but I really would like to do kind of like what you said, like a Manly P. Hall episode, H.P. Blavatsky. We're just like, you know, kind of constrained because me and my co-host live two hours apart right now and we're doing what we can, but we're, so our next focus is figuring out the sexiest possible way with our skill and with our technology that we can fully tell the Bledsoe story in a very clean production that people can consume from start to finish and know the entirety of the story. Because when I set out to do this podcast, I always knew I was eventually going to do that, but I wanted to get there first, you know? So that's kind of my next big focus. Like, how do I do that? How do I start and stop? And by the time people hit play and then turn it off, they, they know the story and they know where I'm coming from and they're caught up. So we're thinking like maybe audio documentary, we're thinking video documentary. Cause we kind of like did a little hybrid documentary episode when we had my dad on as a guest and we're really tossing that around right now and brainstorming, but I will tell you this. So I'm not sure how quick you put your episodes out. We record weeks in advance so today's March 9th for frame of reference. So next week hopefully we're going to get our Patreon up.
0: Right on.
1: Hopefully, depending on if if everything comes together, if not then it'll be the next week. But so it's kind of our next phase.
0: So this episode will come out and that'll hopefully be a thing. And I would imagine folks that are on my Patreon could easily just search Bledso Said So on Patreon and sign mm-hmm. up for that because I'm sure yeah. that name isn't taken. So go for it. And we'll plug that away in the episode description. But yeah, man, I would love to see something like that done. I mean... I've become a big fan of the Penny Royal, which is a great audio documentary podcast. If you haven't listened to it yet, that may be a good inspiration for you. And then, yeah, I mean, as far as production stuff goes, I would love to consult, even if I can't take part in helping, but anything you need as far as advice on my end, I would love to to see that come to fruition because I think that's the type of thing that, your you know your father's story really deserves first of all but also that's really where this sort of story these stories are best being told in my opinion is the audio documentary you can right, do a really right. great video documentary to accompany it certainly but an it's audio documentary yeah. Well, and the audio documentary, what's cool is you have that cliffhanger, you know, like you take people yeah. through the story one episode at a time and they're just dying for that next episode next week. It's like
1: war of the worlds, man. Like war <laughs> of the worlds was basically an audio book back in the fifties or whatever. And everyone thought it was real, you know? Right. Like that's kind of what we were thinking. Like the, my first idea on it was video documentary and we, we got to brass tacks and we're like, that would take three to five times as long. We might not have it finished until two years audio documentary we already have all the software that we we've like analyzed our voice tracks when we clip at certain volumes and now we have a program that takes the average of our of our you know like our voices and just cleans it up like that so all we got to do is talk take the camera out of it we can we can really make it pretty high quality and yeah like i'm at a weird point in my life now where i'm starting to realize it's not really just my dad's story anymore like at this point it's kind of mine too and um without the camera on my face and talking into a microphone, I don't have to worry about people seeing me and like worrying about like my facial expressions or how I look or whatever. And I can just really get into it and convey emotions on a deeper level without that. Like, Ooh, they're watching me. Like I got to play it straight, you know? Cause like when the camera's on you, you act a little different than when it's not, I feel like you can actually be a little more genuine when it's not on, Believe you know, that's my opinion. So.
0: Absolutely. That's kind of why we
1: were thinking that way, really get into it and really just lay it out. And, you know, like the thing that most people listening might not realize is, yeah, like it was really cool growing up as an experiencer. It was awesome with my dad going on TV and like that was that was really fun, but it wasn't all fun. It was like 50-50, very horrible, very traumatic, very, a lot of hatred thrown at us and people hating us and thinking we're trash and liars and crazy and drug addicts, demon possessed, whatever you can think, they thought it. And that's like the part of my journey in doing this podcast is expelling all that negativity and just shooting this out there on the internet for people to listen. And it's like, whether they believe it or not, doesn't really matter. I feel better because I finally got it off my chest, you know? So
0: beautiful. Yeah, man, I'm with that 100%. I want to take it back to Wizard of Oz though, because I recently listened to the audio book the wizard of oz so i kind of got the full story for people who haven't read the book or listened to it it's it's like the movie but the movie doesn't really encapsulate every portion of the book there's like five times more monsters in the book than there is in the movie wow there's a bunch of weird stuff that happens in the book so i'm assuming you looked into the the more general symbolism from the movie correct
1: yeah, we we typically looked at the movie, yeah. Well, and, we did and- we did a little on the book, like her sneakers were silver in the book. Mm,
0: right. Yeah, she or had like she shoes. had silver yeah. shoes in the book. But the 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 castle that was in the book was ruby. So I think they kind really? of Yeah, they kind of took and blended some things maybe to save time. But I don't think that necessarily it's the case where it's like, oh, well you have to, you know, I don't want to be a book snob or something. I think the movie yeah. fully mm-hmm. captures at least the symbolic elements, you know, but what did you learn about the wizard of Oz? Cause I'd love to compare a little bit because I, I feel like this is something that sort of touches on a lot of what we've talked about already today, believe it or not.
1: Yeah. Well, I'll just, I'll just run it through like some of the stuff that we discussed, like, the yellow brick road, not only is it a spiral, which is the symbol of, you know, consciousness is always spiraling up towards, you know, oneness or or the source or whatever. It's also yellow because it represents the Buddhist golden path to enlightenment, which Helena Blavatsky was one of the big proponents of fusing Western and Eastern esotericism. You know, she was all into like Joe Chin and Rainbow Body and Subtle Bodies and Astro Bodies astral body and things like that so there's a lot of hidden buddhist theosophic symbols in there so in the book her sneakers were silver they're not sneakers they're slippers sorry that's right they're silver which supposedly represents um the silver cord in the cold circles there's a silver cord that people wear i can't even remember what it represents we said it on the episode but it's Dumped out of the vault and
0: seeds. When she falls into Oz, that's when the silver slippers are gifted to her because she kind of, her house like spins around and then it falls on the witch. Spiral, and, by the way. Right, right, right. in a tornado. Right. Yeah. And then they land in Oz. I think the movie puts them in like Munchkinville and so does the book. And, um, Mm-hmm. And then the munchkins are so happy that they, that she squashed the witch that they're like, take the slippers, take her slippers. You need her slippers. And they do that in the, the movie too. But yeah, I like that you're, you're, you're pointing that out because I've read that in my book about, it's called the Ascension manual. And it's basically like somebody in the sixties who took all the theosophical stuff and put it in a how to guide, but they talk a lot about the silver cord and how, you know, this is our connection through the physical realm, through the astral realm and then even beyond to the celestial realms and and the highest you know highest realms of consciousness maybe
1: I need to read that the ascension manual
0: mm, yeah it's it's by a doctor I might have to give me a copy by Dr. Joshua David Stone and it's a beautiful it's it's not just one book it's a whole like series of books so okay cool it's, it's Beautifully written. It's not a bad book at all. I don't agree with everything that they believe, but I think it's an excellent book to understand this material from a, from an initiate's perspective, because that's what the book attempts to do is initiate you. And eh, maybe I was initiated when I was reading it back in the day. Who knows? But I, I, do, hey. I do wonder if you covered the, the fact about consciousness being symbolized through Dorothy the tin man the scarecrow and the lion respectively you know the lion was the animal side the tin man was the mineral side scarecrow the vegetable side and then dorothy was kind of like the ego or the id some people interpret it or some people interpret it as like just the soul itself dorothy represents your soul but it's interesting to like think about how they've taken one character and then broken them into four parts. And each part is a character in the story. Mm
1: -hmm. No, we actually didn't cover that. That's super cool. We did cover a quote from either the author or it was Helena Blavatsky herself. I can't remember the exact quote. It was something like dauntless courage, uh, a a loving heart and something. I can't remember are like the path to enlightenment. I can't remember the quote, but anyway, we, we covered that and how that relates to like the lion is the courage the tin man is the brain, the, the, the intuition, the intellect, or excuse me, Toto was the intuition dog star serious, you mm-hmm. know, like in, in Egypt, they had the, the dog star Anubis Toto is a little black dog. He's guiding Dorothy. Every time Dorothy was in danger, Toto was like barking and like, even in the waking world, he was barking at the woman who was the witch in the dream so Toto was her intuition and the witch was trying to take her intuition away. Mm. Um, and then the another really cool thing that we covered was, if you notice, the witches are assigned a cardinal direction. And the east and the western witches are the evil ones and the north and the south ones are the good ones. You never see the south one in the movie, but it's the north and the south are the good ones. And that's funny because it makes a cross north, south, east, west, and the ones on the vertical direction, the north and the south, they represent the spiritual plane, the the ascension to enlightenment or the spiritual realm. And then the ones on the east and the west, the evil ones, represent the material realm. So it's crazy. There's a lot of things like that that were explicitly mentioned by the author as being esoteric because he was a theosophist and a very involved theosophist. He was a disciple of Helena Blavatsky. Like Absolutely. He knew her perfectly, uh, personally. And uh, man, I, I can't remember. We did a whole episode on it. Like We recorded it like a month ago, so it's not okay. fresh on my mind.
0: Right. You did say that you guys recorded in advance. So that episode is out now though, right? Yes. It came awesome. out last week, awesome. last week,
1: but we recorded it a month ago.
0: Cool. Oh, I yeah. definitely want to check that out. And yeah, I recommend folks check out the audiobook for The Wizard of Oz because it is like the full story in a way. And it's pretty entertaining. I enjoyed it. And then the second book, I mean, it's a whole series of books. As a matter of fact, I think L. Frank Baum wrote like 10 books on The Wizard of Oz. And he wow. only did so because so many kids were writing him letters saying, oh, we we want to know what happens, you know, the scarecrow. Because in the book, the scarecrow becomes the Wizard of Oz. That's the funny, that's the best part. Like, I don't think the book that's ever, awesome. the movie ever touches on that. But the scarecrow it becomes doesn't. the wizard. And, and he like... You know, he gets a brain like inserted like a Frankenstein type thing, and it's not a real brain, you know, that's the joke or the, the sort of uh, simile or something. But what was so interesting, too, <laughs> is that the second book involves a boy who reanimates a corpse. So like they're, they're, uh, they're playing with all of these weird esoteric things in a kid's book of all places, you know? That's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if I would give those books to my kids, you know, when I have kids one day until maybe they're in their teenage years, if they're even interested in that kind of thing at that point. But, but yeah, it's interesting to see how esoteric children's books were, you know, like
1: yeah, another thing like uh, the wizard. He's he's manipulating the masses. He's basically worshipped as a god, mm-hmm. but all he really is at the end of the day is just a guy with incredibly complex machinery using an illusion to manipulate entire populations. So it's kind of like you know how secret societies do that all the time. They use symbolism or, you know, consciousness technologies to manipulate people. So kind of cool how they, you know, displayed him in that way. The other one was, I guess this wasn't in the book. You said it was Ruby, but in the movie the city is emerald, which to me, I think of the Emerald Tablets of Thoth. Like walking the yellow brick road to, you know, like we said, was the Buddhist golden path to higher consciousness. And you arrive at the Emerald City, to me it's like you arrive at the Emerald Tablets of Thoth or that Hmm hermetic wisdom i don't
0: know so the the ruby the ruby temple is actually the the south witch that we don't ever see in the movie she's like dorothy visits her towards the end of the book and she has a ruby temple which is kind of like maybe where the ruby slippers come in but the emerald city i always interpreted it as similar to that but also maybe representing the heart like You come to the center, you know, and and you point out that it's aligned north and south and the colors of each uh, respective place on the Oz map are very symbolic. I don't think it's quite a medicine wheel. They're probably using Eastern ideas more so than like Native American medicine wheels, but it did kind of bring that to mind yeah i really i think we ought to do an episode on that maybe because you guys covered the the movie already maybe if i come on uh when i come on bled so said so i'll re-listen to the book and and we'll talk about the book
1: that could be really cool and also what i just realized i really would like you to talk about as well and obviously there's no pressure we're just gonna have fun it's just gonna be a fun conversation but i really would like to hear some of your synchronicity experiences when you started getting crystals
0: i would love to tell you those yeah, yeah
1: i think that'll be really cool
0: thank you yeah yeah definitely i it's funny i'm doing this thing this month uh march 22nd we're doing a sort of meetup in new haven and the idea is to discuss skull and bones on 322 Ooh. because that's their like special number and, uh, and be like an acupuncture needle in the collective consciousness of New Haven and, and get a bunch of like-minded people and we'll all just walk around, walk in front of the tomb, walk down the street to the cemetery and all the other weird places in the center of town. So. That's the, that's the plan. I, I want to bring more, you know, my girlfriend Tara is going to accompany me for that and her and I are going to compile the research and, and have a maybe a better case than just my synchronistic experiences. But I really think that when you put yourself into any sort of research, you're inevitably going to find yourself in the story somehow. You know, I had this mm-hmm. yeah. conversation yeah. with Nathan Isaac Just yesterday, and he was like, "Yeah, man." He's like, "It's so weird how I become a part of the story." Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Have have you? I mean, you say that like, kind of reflects what you said about your father, you know, and how it's really become your story now to tell.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, it it kind of has. Like, I've 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 been really fond of these experiences my whole life, and in my head, I always thought about it like, this is my dad's thing. This is my dad's thing. And just kind of growing into maturity, of I've, I've kind of realized, like, it, it's really not. It's a family thing. It's, it's uh, you know, like, I'm a grown man now. I'm a mature adult. And thinking back on it as an adult and not as that child who was witnessing my father have these experiences, I've realized that I was having them, too. I just was so, like, traumatized and young and, and not as mature enough to, like, really understand the gravity of the situation. But half of my life has been... Basically riddled with UFOs and government agents. I mean, if if it's not my story at this point, then I don't know what is anymore. You know, like I just kind of had that conclusion very recently, and and that's why I started doing the podcast. Like I, I I have a lot to say and a lot of things to talk about, and and I think you're absolutely right that if you do a degree of research to something, in some way, you become a part of that story, and I think that has to do with the fact that real conscious eyes, you know, your eyes with a consciousness observing through them is observing this this phenomenon whatever it is i don't care if it's rocks i don't care if it's erosion in the in, in, you know in, in a volcano somewhere in hawaii it doesn't matter when you're observing that story when you're witnessing it and you're digesting the information i i do think you become a part of it in some way it's like entanglement you know consciousness is entangled Right. But then there's people like us who go out there and talk about it to thousands of people. And then we kind of make it an even bigger way. Mm. So there's there's levels.
0: And that begs the question, you know, being that this subject has really become such a big part of your life. What do you do to unwind and relax? Because I know a lot of people who come and listen to stories that a guy like you tells to do that very same thing because, you know, they're living pretty boring life doing whatever they're doing. You know, what do you, what does a guy like Ryan Bledsoe do to unwind and relax? Like, what do you, what are you doing when you're not podcasting, when you're not out there experiencing strange things?
1: Honestly, I have a pretty simple life, man. Like me and my wife, we have our little apartment together and have a tight knit family and a, and a small group of friends that we hang out with a lot. And I'm going to be honest with you, man. I play a hell of a lot of video games lately. Got my job. It's like pay my bills, doing my podcast on the side, doing everything I can to get that off the ground. And in the meantime, just having fun, a lot of video games. I, like I said, I like to watch things like anime and really like, like all the star Wars shit they're coming out with now. And even though I'm aware of like predictive programming, I'm still a sucker for a really good movie, you know, like a blockbuster and action film. And I think that's okay. Like, I, th- I think it's okay to, you know, see something behind something, but still partake without like changing who you are. I, mean, I, I like action movies. You know, I like the Marvel movies, even though they're riddled with, with the predictive programming, but whatever, you got one life to live, you know? So,
0: right. Right. And yeah, I, I think I've taken a harsh stance on those things on the podcast. So maybe I'm taking, I take- haven't even noticed. No, I, no, no, no. I
1: wasn't referencing you. <laughs>
0: no, 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 I know. But I, that's only to clarify. That's only to clarify what I'm about to say, which is like, I'm totally in agreement with that. Like, I, I feel like, as much as I'm like, no, I don't induce yourself in the predictive programming. That's because I'm responding to people who are very, very like deep in a sort of ma- mind manipulated sense, you know? Cause
1: yeah. Yeah. And I
0: don't want to get too personal, but I know some people that live and die by the media and what they say, you know? And it's just oh, hard to, yeah. it's hard to see, yeah. you know? So then yeah. that kind of entertainment, it's not even entertainment anymore. It's like, the, the world they're living in is fantasy, you know? So that's kind of yeah, where that's,
1: that's too far. I'm just like, for example, I went and saw Batman at theater last week, kick-ass movie. Right. I'm not like researching everything about the actors. Like there's definitely limits. Like don't, don't, don't get into like too far down the whole icon worship. And did you hear what Anderson Cooper said about COVID and, and World War three? It's like, slow down, buddy. Don't we know the CIA owns the media? Like I definitely know about the conspiracy side of things. I'm just saying, from my perspective, I'm I'm kind of like an artist. I like to create things. I'm a musician. I really like to absorb art, and that's where right. I draw the line. You know, that's where I draw the line. I just like a good movie, good show, good game, whatever. I don't follow the news. To hell with that. <laughs> like, def- definitely got to keep your wits about you.
0: Right on, right on, dude. And I think those are words to live by. And I'm so glad to have talked to you about this stuff. I feel like there's still some more questions that I have.
1: Yeah, I mean, I have no time limit, man. If whatever you're comfortable with.
0: Cool. So, given that, you know, you have these like seemingly odd characters on the periphery, <laughs> you know, are you ever do you, have you ever felt like inclined to get any of them on the record? Like now that you're doing the podcast, are there any contacts that you have from that former side of your life that you would think would be like good guests for the show? Are you ever going to go down that road or do you think it's going to remain just like you and you and your buddies and, and maybe like guys like me? that you know from podcasting?
1: To be honest with you, I did try to get Tom DeLonge on the podcast before I even started, before I even came out with an episode. So this would have been right at a year ago. No response. And I thought about it and I was like, you know, the more I think about it, these people don't want to come on my show because I'm talking about them, you know? So over time, I've kind of evolved to try to steer clear of that crowd. I'm not really interested in giving a platform to people who have views that I don't necessarily agree with. Because at the end of the day, I'm 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 not just trying to entertain people. I'm I'm really trying to paint a picture here, like. And I, I don't mean I'll have people on that like oh I don't agree with you you can't come on I don't mean it like that. Let me rephrase. I'm talking government individuals who might be employed by an agenda. You see what I'm saying? I don't mean like conspiracy researchers. I'll I'll have those on, and and you know you don't have to. I'd have a flat earther on just because I think the subject is cool. I don't necessarily buy it, but I love hearing about it. Extremely, profoundly interesting. I have a lot of respect for people who go to great lengths to explore fringe thoughts and try to, like, make a case for it. Because my whole life is fringe, you know, so whatever, power to them.
0: But you wouldn't give a don't, platform to, to a spook is what you're saying.
1: <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. You know, in a very nice way, pretty much. I don't want to give a platform to spooks. No. And you know what? They've never given a platform to my family. Right. In, oh, they actually did one time and they made a documentary trying to smear us and it almost ruined our lives. Right. So it's like, it's like, why would I give them a platform when in private they've been coming to our home for 15 years and all these different people have been telling us they're going to do this and do that and talk about us to the world and like vindicate us and make us look great and then it's just crickets and they only ever address us publicly if they're asked about us in an interview and it's like some little skirt around the question and answer and then move on so it's like I, I just don't really know if i'm interested in giving a platform to spooks maybe maybe if if, if we could come to an agreement and, and it benefited them and it benefited me sure but at the end of the day like this show is unique because it's not just like a necessarily an entertainment thing like it's also kind of like therapy for me getting things off my chest So I don't think it would be good for me to open up those kinds of wounds and give people a platform that I, I'm not necessarily agreeing with, you know?
0: Right. Right. And I I guess I really was referring to, or or maybe insinuating people that you're comfortable with that you because you did make this you know clause to say that not all of them are bad people at least the ones you've interacted with and and I don't find any reason to disagree with you there especially considering I haven't met many any of those people or, or many of you know people in government in general so I, I just don't want to be uh, biased for no reason but yeah, yeah. I, I wonder if any of them would even be like considering like you know, joining someone on a podcast anonymously, you know, cause I, I guess why I ask is because journalism has become so pushed into a box that now the real journalists are podcasters, you know, guys, oh, like, yeah. Tim Poole, Absolutely.
1: guys Absolutely. like
0: Tim pool, guys like Tim pool and many others, you know, who are covering the news without a slant and covering things that the mainstream media, are just not covering but i wonder you know these guys that men and women and the forces i wonder maybe they listen to podcasts maybe they feel like they want to get their story out there but nobody's offering them a platform to do it anonymously you know because i yeah. mean so many conspiracy theorists are just so paranoid that if anybody approached them with that kind of pedigree or resume they'd be like hell no you guys are gonna kill me what are you talking you know yeah. So yeah. I wonder like what are your thoughts on, on that aspect of it? Like if there are good folks among you know these Yeah, in these so groups. like
1: I did approach one of my contacts in the CIA, a, a a very nice guy by the name of Jim Simivan. If you Google him, he'll definitely pop up. He's he's one of the excuse me, he's one of the people in charge um at the head of to the stars with tom DeLong, like that whole group do i necessarily agree with everything like i don't know but again they've been very nice to my family and i did approach him before my podcast was launched and then i approached him right before i was going to launch so i asked him in two occasions i asked him if he could go on a friend of mine or one of my friends shows and he promptly responded and said hey very much appreciate the offer can't do that. It's conflict of interest. And it would never happen anyway, because it takes the months or the C- I have to submit my questions and answers and, you know, topics several months in advance to the CIA at Langley, they have to approve or disapprove. And it, it's just this whole process. He was like, not worth the headache. Sorry, I can't do it. So then later I asked him if he'd come online and I you know, just got ghosted. So I, I got the message, but I don't believe that like a real individual in the know, such as high level officers of these clandestine agencies. I don't think that they're literally allowed to go on shows like yours and mine. And I say that because I was told that, that their answers have to be vetted. And like, if you were to schedule one of these guests, you would have to submit the questions you were going to ask him. Then he would have to take that to the CIA and then get it approved over a several month process. So like, I just don't think that happens. I think when you see those people, on shows, it's a put-on. It's it's literally, I'm telling you right now from personal experience, it's approved by the CIA. Right. So, it's an
0: agenda that they're there to be a talking head for.
1: Pretty much. I mean, if, if, yeah. if, if we're going to call it what it is, yeah. I mean, a job is a job. Do I think they're all bad people? No. I think that it's very complicated when you see them face-to-face and who knows, maybe they're lying. Maybe it's some MK Ultra thing. I mean, I have no clue. I mean, some of them give us death threats and tell us they worship Satan. Some of them tell us they believe us and, and that we're the most like profound UFO experience in the world and all they want. And and what the CIA wants is for it to get out there to the public. And I will tell you a small handful of people that have said that I do genuinely believe them to be telling the truth. But my mantra in life is just like, if they're intelligence, don't trust them unless they prove it, you know? Right. It's complicated when they're knocking on your door. It's very complicated. It's very nerve-wracking.
0: Right. Now, I want to ask you a fun question, being that I don't always interview podcast hosts. Okay. This person doesn't have to be alive, but if you could ideally book any guest you wanted on your podcast, someone they'd have to say yes, could be a celebrity, could be an author, whatever, who's like the... like imaginary dream guest that you would have who would you really just need to interview if this was possible
1: you're probably not gonna like my answer but i would say like hermes trismegistus man Ooh, no why
0: would you think i wouldn't like that i love that hermes trismegistus I, I yes. yes please yeah. tell us for folks who may have never heard that name tell us who hermes trismegistus is
1: So he is this figure who supposedly existed in the far ancient past, even before the times of Egypt, so to speak, like if there was ever an Atlantis. And he supposedly is the first ever sage figure in our recorded history that, that, that we even have records of. And the whole like Masonic religion comes from what this guy talked about. All these secret societies then, and like you think they're like worshiping the devil and all that. Some of them are, some of them definitely are like the temple of set and stuff like that. But anyway, so most of these secret societies are just copying what this guy wrote, like the Emerald tablets of Thoth, the Corpus Hermeticum, as above, so below it's quite literally the most popular occult phrase of all time comes from this guy. So it's like, you know, all the sage figures of the past, like Buddha, Jesus, Zoroaster, Krishna, so on and so forth, are literally just like historical copies of this original sage-like figure. And all esoteric wisdom is reported to have been from this figure. And actually, people believe it may have been Enoch from the Bible. That's how far back this figure would go, if Enoch was even real. So. Wow.
0: Yeah, I've heard him compared to Thoth from the Egyptian, like he was Thoth too as well, right?
1: Yes, yes. Hermes, Mercury, and Thoth. So in the ancient times, the Greeks and the Egyptians and the Romans, you know, they were all conquering each other, like Greece conquered Egypt eventually with Alexander, and then Rome took over and made their empire, and they're still in charge over at the Vatican, right, and the Jesuits and everything. They're still going. And anyway, so back in those days, they all kind of, they. so the Greeks learned from Egypt And like Plato openly writes about that, the most famous philosopher of all time. He writes about how he learned his wisdom uh, from the priests of Egypt who learned their wisdom from the priests of Atlantis. That's like a canon real Plato text. And anyway, so back in those days when the Greeks were learning from the Egyptians and then the Romans were learning from the Greeks, they would take their religious figures and do what is called syncretizing them, meaning they'll take like the Egyptian Thoth, the Roman Mercury, and the Greek Hermes, these three cultures will say well it's basically the same god we just call it something different and then they say this man has the attributes of all three so that's what that second name you say trismegistus trismegistus i honestly don't know how it's pronounced but hermes trismegistus that means thrice greatest he's the greatest of all three hermes mercury and thoth and it's just an allegory if you look at those figures in their respective religions it's the ascended master figure or magical scribe of the gods, transformation, et cetera, et cetera. It's all—it's all metaphor for reaching higher consciousness, um, the the path of enlightenment.
0: So glad I asked you that, and I never asked that question. That just came to me, yeah. And I awesome. I would awesome. I would agree. I mean, if I had that opportunity, I probably would ask him too, because the Kabbalion, yeah. a book that you know you mentioned there, as above, yeah. so below, yeah. is the first precept of. The Caballion, he is definitely a big part of that. The Emerald Tablets of Thoth, right? That's the same thing. But yeah, man, I mean, geez, you brought up the temple of, oh, okay. I'll answer the question. I would say because it's more, it's, it's more recent in history, Tesla, I would pick someone more recent. Like in history. Nikola
1: Tesla? Nikola Tesla, yes. That's my second one. That's my, honest to God, that's my second.
0: Just because ley lines have become a really big fascination of mine lately telluric currents, earth energies. And I think he really figured that out.
1: Mm-hmm. I do too. I definitely think he did. They threw him in house arrest because he, he, he had such advanced technology. He literally had to be like raided by the FBI and thrown into house arrest for the rest of his life. Right.
0: Yeah. He I mean, could create
1: earthquakes in like 1905. It's
0: crazy. It, I've, I've even heard the theory that, you know, he possibly was behind the Tunguska explosion that blew up over mm. Russia. All those trees have still fallen to this day because of some sort of explosion that happened. And it, it, I don't believe it hit the ground. It exploded midair above this forest and completely decimated an area of like a couple circular miles.
1: No, oh, I haven't heard of that. That's interesting.
0: Yeah, well, hey, maybe I'll put that in my notes for uh, our conversation on Bledsoe so said yeah. so, but you brought up the the Temple of Set. Did this come up in your research at all? What have you learned? What else have you learned about the Temple of Set?
1: So the Temple of Set, in my opinion, is like the real Temple of Satan. Like it's it's always layers of subterfuge, meaning for 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 anybody who doesn't necessarily know much about secret societies. I mean I'm sure listening to your show, they do, but I go on so many different types of shows, UFO shows, conspiracy shows, blah, blah, blah. I like to prep the listener. The layers of subterfuge meaning these secret societies will have one group. That the masses get to see and observe and believe is the main group, but then there's a group behind the group, just like the Freemasons. They they have like the inner circle, the 33 degree. But your 99 percent Freemasons around the world only ever climb to the 32nd degree, and they never go higher. And they run charities in their town, and they all drink beer together and talk about their wives and put on the Shriner hats and go donate to charity, and that's Freemasons. But then the inner circle, you know. Who knows what they're really up to, right? Anyway, so the Temple of Set, in my opinion, is the real Temple of Satan behind the political movement that you see in the public where they claim very openly, like, Anton LaVey and started in the 60s. It's, it's literally called the Temple of Satan, and they say, we don't actually believe in Satan or God or Jesus or anything. It's just a political movement, and we're trying to, like, use shocking imagery to, like, bring about, like— atheism and blah blah blah. They claim they don't really believe in Satan. That's fine. I take that claim, whatever. I still think it's fucking weird, but whatever. The temple of Set, however, they truly believe in a malevolent dark force. The name Set comes from the Egyptian entity of darkness who is in eternal war with Horus, the son of Osiris, you know, like the the metaphor for light versus dark and eternity. And uh the Persians in the ancient past read about and heard about the Egyptian set. And in their language, they called him Shaitan, which was adopted by the Jews and put in the Bible. So in reality, if you want to know the the history of Satan and where it came from, it likely came from set from Egypt. And there are people like John Podesta, Michael, other like political figures who very openly flash symbolism of being involved with the temple of set and like the Marina Abramovich spirit cooking shit. And, like, for example, there's an image that people can easily Google and decode. You can read this and 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 look at it and and know without a doubt that this is uh, Setian symbolism. On one hand, there's this image of John Podesta where he has like a Band-Aid on a finger. Do you remember Marina Abramovich said some shit on the wall in blood, like cut your left finger and eat the pain or something? Do you know what I'm talking about? I think spirit? I remember
0: hearing about this back when the spirit cooking thing was a big right. topic. Yeah.
1: Yes, it was the spirit cooking thing. And WikiLeaks revealed that like even John Podesta was invited, which by the way, weird thing, people try to introduce us to him. I'm like, woo, at the time I didn't know who he was. Thank God that didn't happen because he's apparently really into UFOs. But anyway, John Podesta, on one hand, he has the number 14. And then on the other hand, he has the number fish or not the number. He has the symbol of a fish, just like the little Jesus fish. Now, in the myth of Osiris and Set, Osiris is cut into 14 pieces by Set, and the 14th piece is his phallus, or his junk, and it's thrown into the Nile, and then a fish eats the 14th piece, the junk. Obviously, it's a metaphor for the regenerative principle Of nature, life. I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about. And anyway, so in the myth, Isis creates one out of gold. Anytime you see an obelisk, literally anywhere in the world, that's actually what it means. It's Osiris's junk. It's his reproductive organs in ancient Egyptian belief. That's what the obelisk means. And so you see that 14 in the fish, it's a reference to that set in Osiris story. And he's got the bandaid on his finger. He was in fight. He was invited to uh, spirit cooking. I don't know, man. And then you go down the rabbit hole of Michael Aquino, who was a high level, I believe it was army or CIA intelligence officer who finally enough had some more connections to some people I know and have connections with kind of weird that I'm next to the heartbeat of this thing. Cause I saw UFOs as a kid. I don't know, but, um, Anyway, so Michael Aquino started the Temple of Set, and he was an open, professed worshiper of Satan, and by the time he died as an older man, he actually had real, literal, pedophile charges that he was never arrested for. Sick, perverted, disgusting individual, founded the Temple of Set, and why did you, what did you ask me about it in the first place? Well, you mentioned, about it?
0: you mentioned it in when, when we were talking about Hermes Trismegistus, you said that these, you know, all of these groups were kind of inspired by one source. And then you mentioned just the temple of sat. And I'm like, well, tell me more about this. Cause I have oh, a feeling, yeah. you know, more about it. I know some things that we've talked about off the air that I don't want to ask you about. Cause I don't know how much you're comfortable sharing, but I would not be surprised if the alien connection has something to do with ritual occult activity. It seems like it it, it's, it it's, it's, it's happened over and over again, thousands of years. And the army is certainly playing around with this occult stuff. I mean, that guy, Colonel Michael Aquino He's not just any old colonel. He's a colonel in the army, and he was very well known. I think he even rewrote parts of the like army's religious texts that they have. The like, you that's know, that's nasty. Yeah, yeah. They they that's, they basically you know converted everyone who's in the army into uh, you know this church of the temple of Set. That's that's what the theory says. This is alleged. If you're a veteran out yeah, there, yeah. you know, I don't want to offend any veterans, but uh, you know, give me a. Send me a message if you agree. I mean, I'm sure there's vet- some veterans that have seen something weird, but yeah, yeah. Temple of Set, just in general, what, what you know about it.
1: And one of the things that Michael Aquino or Aquino or whatever in particular was involved with was uh, something called Project Phoenix, allegedly where they were trying to make mind control assassins through MK Ultra techniques. And I do know, I do know for a fact that uh, some people involved with Army Intelligence... We're experimenting with black magic type practices to measure psi effects, meaning like psychic psi, psi effects in wartime situations. And I do know for a fact that the the movie The Men Who Stare at Goats. Yes, it's put out as a comedy and George Clooney and Elon McGregor, and it's like a silly movie, but it's, a, it's based on a real book. And I know some of these people in real life, like who George Clooney was even based on. And I, I mean, they told me straight, the way that they killed the goat was not by staring at it, but it was actually by harnessing Qigong energy and then using an ancient Kung Fu technique called Dim mock, which is the death touch. So you harness the chi in your fingers and then they touch the goat. And uh, eight hours later, it dropped dead
0: wow the dim mock i didn't expect that coming up and i have that yeah, movie yeah. i've seen it the men who stare at goats i also yeah, have a so book it's made called to be a comedy well i i watched it at an age where a lot of it went over my head so i remember mm-hmm. seeing it the year yeah. it came out i was only like 15 or 16 i don't remember exactly what year it was hopefully it wasn't that young but but yeah I remember a lot of it going over my head just because I wasn't familiar with as much as I am now. But the Dim Mak, Dragon's Touch—I have a book yeah. about that. <laughs> I don't know. That's cool. I don't know how much of of that is true, though. Like, as a martial artist, I'm not trying to be skeptical because I do believe in energy. But like, how do people in the CIA achieve that much chi? I understand, like a Shaolin monk who spends 40 years doing it. But these aren't things that the average person can do without years and years of discipline and training. That's how it's built in martial arts. Yeah, that's just how they they tell you it. But maybe Honestly, that's only
1: one of, Well, maybe. I was going to say one of the guys I know who like was involved with this, particularly one of the guys that George Clooney's based on, he's based on two people in real life. George Clooney's character in the movie is an amalgam meaning he's one character who's fused from two real-life people, Joe McMonagle and John Alexander, Colonel John Alexander. John Alexander has traveled to at least 100 countries, I speculate, studying these indigenous cultures and trying all these techniques. He told me he and his wife have been to uh, South America and, and done ayahuasca trips over 100 times. You know, like you'd be surprised what people in the CIA really do to learn and figure this stuff out. And they have the whole gateway project and they, they have their ways of figuring shit out. Right.
0: Wow. Well, Ryan, as usual, it's always a fun time talking to your brother. Good to get to know you better. I look forward to visiting you down there in the South soon. I'm sure (laughs) it'll happen this year. If it doesn't happen next year, I'm sure, but we'll make it happen Eh, sooner than later. But we will. We will. Tell the folks where they can find you, follow you. You're on Instagram. You're on all sorts of places. Where where can the folks subscribe to your podcast?
1: Sure. So it's called Blood So Said So. I know it's in reverse, but just so you can see it there. Oh, it's said not in so reverse for us. Spelling. Oh, it is for me. Cool. So okay. Blood So Said So, if you just type that on Google, well, who knows? Maybe I'm shadow banned. I don't know let me know if I am, but just go to Google. We're on, we're on like Apple and Spotify, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram. Now we're on TikTok. We're I mean, there's views or views, you know, so might as well try something different. And we are out there in as many places as possible, all under the name of Bledsoe Said So. Oh, we're on Rockfin now. And so if, if you guys are subscribed to Mark, check us out on Rockfin. Obviously, You know, we don't have a premium, premium show yet, but if you're already a subscriber to Rockfin and you like the show, definitely helps us out to listen on there or YouTube. And hopefully next week from now, so today being March 9th, hopefully next week or the week after we'll have a Patreon up and a Discord and everything like that. But ultimately just check us out and give us a listen.
0: Awesome. I love it. And I'll be tuning in and maybe pretty soon I'll be on the show myself. We already have it scheduled and in the books. Yes. Hopefully we'll talk about Wizard of Oz and some other things. And I'm sure I'll come up with some more interesting stuff in between. Talk about my life and whatnot, if anyone cares to learn about that. But Ryan, like I said, dude, pleasure to talk to you as usual. And thank you so much, folks, for tuning in. Have a great moment wherever you are in the now. Peace. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. And what good timing for this episode to come out because I was just on Bledsoe Said So, Ryan Bledsoe's podcast, our guest today. And what an interesting conversation. I didn't expect all of the twists and turns towards the end there. But Ryan knows his stuff and him and his friends go into a lot of deep, subjects on their podcast so be sure to check that out and speaking of friends we've had a lot of great support over the past few days i gotta give a shout out to patrick jacob david micah alessandra michael juan thomas r thank you all so much for supporting me Uh, i still have a long way to go to fixing my transmission but I appreciate every little bit that counts And some of you really helped out in a, in a big way So thank you so much for supporting this podcast And supporting me in real life Because you know, with this podcast there's a little, little, little piece of who I am In my real life that shines through uh, I try to be as authentic as I can be while also maintaining a certain level of privacy and boundaries that most people would want as private citizens or private individuals. So anyways, I got to give some spirit animal names away for our three new patrons. Big shout out to our three new patrons for signing up we've got daniel h you are the oyster shawl dwayne k mystery elephant and james b the medicine crocodile thank you so much guys for supporting us i really appreciate it and if you're listening there are more than just one way to support the show you can send us a direct payment you can support us on telegram send us a voice message get on the show yourself and Tell us why you're crazy. Right now, if I go and check Telegram, I don't think we've gotten any voice messages lately. If you do leave a voice message, make sure you at me, because uh, there's a lot of people chatting in this thing, a lot of people talking every day, a whole bunch of people joined recently after the big David Ike episode, and we'll see who joins after uh, the next couple episodes that are coming out, because I gotta say... David Icke was big, but this next guest, and my Rockfin people know exactly who I'm talking about, but the next guest that you guys are going to hear on the audio show is uh, pretty legendary. Anyways, that's about it for the show today. Be sure to check out the t-shirts that we have in the merch store, the jewelry that we have in the merch store and the artwork that we have in the merch store it's all phenomenal stuff and speaking of original stuff go and check out the So Said So podcast it's an amazing podcast I was just on it last night and I believe that episode will be out in a couple weeks but go and check out all their episodes they've covered a variety of topics and shared a lot of personal stuff as well along the way I believe Ryan and Nick have known each other for the better part of their lives. So it's a cool show, and I was grateful to be on it and had a great time. Be sure to check that out. And, of course, the best way to do that is subscribe. If you listening to this on YouTube, come on. You know the drill. Get off of YouTube. Come on over to a real podcast app. Use Podcast Addict could use Podfriend on your desktop there. You could use yeah, there's so many. I don't know. Just go to Podcast Index. Just type that in on Google Podcast Index. You get get to the podcast index website and then click apps. Ah, you know what? This is too hard. It's in the description. You'll see it. Anyways, that's all for this episode. Of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast No guests for this extended outro But a big thank you To everybody supporting the show And have a great moment